Welcome to the To Read List. I'm Bailey, and this is a podcast where I attempt to get through the 150 unread books on my shelf. With me, as always, is my friend Toby. Hey. My brother Andrew. Hello. And my husband Dylan is the sound recordist. Normal hello. Oh, nice. Hmm. Nice. I, Dylan, I understand what you're trying to do, but when you put normal in front of something, it makes it seem weird. Normal comment. Andrew, that's fine. <laughs> oh, good. my. It's very suspicious. Does everyone see the text selection box above Dylan's head right now? <laughs> Is Dylan like a replicant or something? Mm, yes. Hard to say. Dylan, if you were to see a turtle that's on his back, what would you do? I would turn it off and turn it on again. No. <laughs> <laughs> you might notice that the number is down to 150 from 153. So, Hooray. So I want to check in with everybody to see how your reading resolutions have been going because wow. I have some news. Right off the bat. All right. You know, there's no artifice. It's not even smooth, Bailey. You no. might as well just take your finger and put it on my face. No, I'm, I'm not pointing at anybody. I was just, you know, bringing it your up as a topic. Your finger is pointed in your lap and it's pointing <laughs> over towards me. I have some shame, Toby, everybody. you're being tremendously defensive right now. Toby has I some have shame. shame. All right, let's hear it. Well, the other day I came home from an errand and, and there is apparently it's a huge thing in my neighborhood to leave boxes of books everywhere. <laughs> uh, and I actually, after I made that resolution about getting no books, that was my re- resolution in case people don't know, was to get no new books whatsoever. All books for this year are supposed to come from the library. And you clarified no street books. No street books, I specifically said, because my neighborhood has a problem. And I made that resolution and I successfully ignored a box of books uh, the other day when I was walking around. I sense a twist. <laughs> well, not so much a twist as like a divine smiting of books. It was like the box was on my front step. Literally. Somebody's messing with you. It said Nobody free expects that second box. <laughs> well, and it, it like it was a really good selection of books as well. It had several that barely read last year. Uh, the Sun is also a star. It had everything is illuminated. Mm-hmm. Didn't want to read either of those. Really? Um, <laughs> no, no. Um, <laughs> what did you do? <laughs> but it was terrible. Like I felt my resolution crumble it, into dust. I. I went through it. I was like, oh, all you have to do, you just don't go through it. It's just not a problem. You just don't go through the. And then I was like three books deep. It was terrible. So wait, so how so, many books and what books did you get? Okay. I only got two books. Okay. Um, and I'm not even that excited about them now. <laughs> it was just, it's just the thrill. It's like, it's so terrible. It's just the thrill of getting books. You don't know what you're getting. It's I got like when re- you go to McDonald's and you're like, oh, I just really want some chicken nuggets. And then mm. right after you're like, what? Why? Yeah. Yeah. So I got uh, Running with Scissors by Augustine Burroughs mm-hmm. and Lamb by Christopher Moore. Okay. Yeah, and I've come covered in shame. I just have one question, Toby. Yes. Was it worth it? <laughs> Decidedly not. <laughs> I feel terrible. I uh, have Running with Scissors. You could borrow that. Oh, it makes it even worse. <laughs> and and worst of all, it's the um, it's the edition that has like the movie cover. Yeah. <laughs> oh, it's also known as the worst edition of every book ever. Uh huh. So. So your uh, reading resolutions aren't going so well. Are you reading any books on finances? No. Oh, okay. Terry Pratchett? Does that count? <laughs> it's okay, Toby. I think, you know, there are people that just can't resist <laughs> buying books. People. And, like, I just get it. And, like, it's not me, but. Mm, okay. Well, I'm glad you can sympathize with me, even though you feel no connection whatsoever. Yeah. Thank you. 
I got rid of two books, um, which is why it went down what to 150. What is this topsy-turvy world we're I living know. in? I, those ones that I was feeling like, well, there were three, but I couldn't get rid of all three. I kept M-Train. Yeah, the ones that Instagram assured you you were fine to get rid of? Yes, and I walked them all the way to the free little library and all I the dumped way them. Around the corner. Yeah, and there was a book there, Milkman, which won the Pulitzer or the Man Booker a few years ago, and mm. I was like, don't get that. And I didn't, but it was tempting. I get wow. it. I bow down to you. I mean, clearly, you have some inner resolve, inner, inner fortitude that I clearly lack. Bailey, expect a delivery from Amazon uh, in a couple of days. <laughs> maybe a couple books in them. The two I got rid of, I got for literally 50 cents each at library book sales. It's not like I went to a bookstore and purchased. I got mine for books. free. Yeah. For free, and I'm still filled with shame. Yeah, I don't think the point of the read list is about the money spent on books. I think we've established that that's even more depressing. <laughs> no, I mean, I don't feel shame getting rid of them, because it's not like, you sh- you bought that, you should have read it. Mm-hmm. I also, one of my resolutions was to read books off my secret shame shelf. Mm. And I read one. It's called Spinning. It's a graphic novel. I got it for Christmas. Very quick. And then the other one I had was one that I borrowed from Toby, V for Vendetta. Hmm. And I'd been holding on to it for a few months. And I started it. And then I was like, not for me. And hmm. that, that was a big thing for me because I don't usually give things up. So I'm doing great on my resolutions. Wow, you're killing it. Andrew, tell us your shame. I have no shame. I've bought no extra books. Oh. Um, I'm on track on my Goodreads count in terms of finishing my goal. Oof. Well, I am too. Death has not come to me and been in love with me yet so that's not going so well Mm. but you know it's a long year it's a it's a matter of days becoming weeks becoming months not just a getting it all done in one day so true yeah and i don't think i've been the jaff to anybody (laughs) all right um glad to hear that everyone is responsible and follows through (laughs) well (laughs) i think you'll find this amusing so i've been good about books but then i bought three new puzzles <laughs> well, this isn't the two puzzle po- podcast, so I have no problem with that. I, I replace one with the other. That's how it works. Yeah, that's fine. Guys, we have to talk about a really serious issue in the Bookstagram community. Yes, I, I know what you're going to say. <sighs> so this guy on Twitter, Alex Kristoff, posted, My coworker thinks I'm a book murderer because I cut my big books in half so I can easily carry them. Mm. Does anybody else do this? And he has these pictures of like infinite jest sliced in half and Middlesex sliced in half. And I think the other one is Dostoevsky. Mm-hmm. Crime and Punishment. So, yeah. Ironic for Crime and Punishment. <laughs> so the question is, is he a book murderer? So I have several thoughts about this. <laughs> right. First of all, it is the lamest thing to do to be like, oh, I read books sometimes and they're so big that I have to cut them in half. Here are the Smarty Pants books that I read. Like, <laughs> oh, I hated that aspect of this post so much. And then the other half, I don't know. You buy a book, it's not a sacred holy text. You can do with it what you will. Disagree. Uh, if he's mutilating them, like, in a foolish way, I don't know. I, it just seems like he should be able to do what he wants with his books. I personally would never do it, and it, the reasoning behind it makes little sense to me. Mm-hmm. Buy but, an uh, e-reader, buy a Kindle. Yeah, exactly. Um, so it just seems like a bizarro, attention-grabby thing to do. Andrew, what do you think? So my initial reaction and like the most reasonable reaction I have is, yeah, if your concern is portability and you do not care about them retaining their physical shape, just get an e-reader. Yeah. Mm. The reason I don't have an e-reader is that I enjoy the physical experience of reading a book. So the idea of then cutting it in half is sort of anathema to me. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like, (laughs) what's the point of that? So I really have nothing to say to this man. (laughs) No, I'm not like super offended that he's destroyed the books because it's not like really any of my business. But like, I feel 
feel like there's such an easier solution that I'm just sort of like, come on, dude. Come on, dude, is my reaction. <laughs> but what would you do if you saw a person on the subway reading half a torn book of Brittle Sex? My reaction would be, what happened to your book, man? <laughs> Excuse me. I'm sorry you lost half your book. I would assume they lost the book yeah. somehow. I, I have actually, accident. I've ended up with like old books. I've been like old, really old editions falling apart. And I have like been in public places reading, not maybe like once or twice in my life. But it happens. But I've never cut them. In. It looks like he literally like, took like a bandsaw yeah. and cut them in half. Well, that's what's upsetting to me is like I have also had old books that the pages are falling out. And it feels like he has compromised the integrity of the structure of the book by cutting the binding. Like those yeah. pages are just going to fall off. Yeah. So that's the most upsetting thing to me. There's also a small part of me that thinks this is just a stupid thing that he did to get attention on social media because he knew people but would be upset But he deleted his it. Twitter. People oh. were harassing him because of it. Oh, wow. Okay. Well, then maybe. <laughs> Look, do you think Bookstagram's a thing to mess with? Yeah. So I think there are people wrong on both sides. Number one, <laughs> if you're harassing somebody off of social yeah. media because of this, you're taking it too seriously. Yeah. But also, well, come Andrew, on, I think you I think you made a really good point, which is that the only reason these days to not have an e-reader is because you like the physical act of handling and reading books. Mm -hmm. So if it's just a pain in the butt for you, then get an e like, you know, yeah. it makes no sense. It also, I also saw that like Infinite Jest, I think a thousand plus pages. Mm -hmm. Dostoevsky, very chunky. Middlesex? Middlesex is like, not that long. It's long, but it's not that long. No. There's yep. no there's no need to cut that one. That's like a normal trade paperback, a little bit yeah. thicker. So let's talk about like his hubris and confidence on like, he knows when he's going out, like, I'm only going to be able to read half this book. Yeah. yeah. Like, if you ever go on vacation, like, not 600 pages for me. <laughs> yeah, you, you see him going on vacation, he's like, well, it's two weeks, so I'm going to cut this one three quarters. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so, I want to put this out there, because I'm curious what re our readers think. Uh, I added... Listeners. listeners, sorry, yeah. I want to I want to see Who what our readers... Listeners or readers. I put a book on my to-read list, which, as you know, is just a list of books that I kind of want to read, <laughs> because I really, I'm never going to finish it if I'm not forced to, and I think it'll start controversy and make people upset. What book is it? It's oh, no. One of the, it's one of the books with the most ratings and highest ratings on Goodreads that I've ever seen. Okay. It's called The Name of the Wind by Patrick oh, Rothfuss. Oh, Jillian's oh, read yeah. that. Sure. Oh, okay. I know that. So it's a 4.9. People love it. I have DNF'd it twice i was gonna say it seems right up your alley it is terrible it's it's i mean there are parts of it that are fine but there are parts of it that were so bad that i could not make it through despite it being my favorite genre and my favorite kind of book with these like massive fantasy novels so that series is really popular it's I'm incredibly popular it's it's one of the only ones I've ever come across where I'm just like, I just don't get it. So mm. I'm excited to do an episode on it someday. I want to hear what our listeners think. I'm sure there are some listeners out there who love it. I hope there are some listeners out there who don't like it, like me. Um, so I just want to put it out there. One day it'll get chosen, and um, we'll get ready for the, the angry emails. Were you just feeling guilty about those street books and decided to punish yourself a little bit? Nah, I just want to get people angry. <laughs> All right, well, this week on the podcast, Toby had a book chosen at random from his shelf. Toby, what book did you have? I had One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest by Ken Kesey. Cuckoo, cuckoo, cuckoo. Nest. <laughs> so, here's my logline. One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest by Ken Kesey is the story of a battle of wills in a psychiatric hospital between a controlling nurse and an inveterate gambler and how the ongoing contest affects the men committed to the institution. True, yeah. yeah? Have you Good read book. this one? Yes. Oh, okay. 
What do you think? I mean, I'm very familiar with the movie, so it's hard not to yeah. compare the two. But it has a different narration than the movie. Yeah. yeah. You, but you I'll go ahead. That, it's, yeah. it's your episode. I don't know why I asked that right off the top. <laughs> <laughs> um, he didn't read that it. It seems out of order. Uh, yeah, yeah. Just tell me some more. <laughs> yeah. So, so yeah. Uh, who are the characters? Yeah. So I, I, I also have seen the movie. I saw it a long time ago. But yeah, I saw it so long ago, you know, it kind of fades. So I generally knew it was happening. And it is quite different than the movie. So mm-hmm. if you're wondering, I've seen the movie. Should I bother reading the book? Yes, I think you should. The whole book is narrated from the point of view um, of a very tall, very big, completely silent indigenous man uh, named Chief Bromden, um, and everyone calls him Chief. He's been there for a very, very long time, and he hasn't spoken in years, and everyone considers him to be deaf and mute. Mm-hmm. While in reality, he is perfectly able to hear and could speak, but he is suffering quite a lot from a round of uh, electroshock therapy that they put on him uh, some years in the past, and so he's basically chosen not to speak anymore. Um, he's the narrator and he's the observer who walks us through the book. The kind of portrayal of his specific mental illness is probably the best thing about the entire book. Because Chief Bromden has these hallucinations that come and go, very, very vivid and very scary hallucinations. And he describes them because he'll slip from like a normal scene inside the institution into this kind of nightmare world that the chief moves in and out of. And it's very intense. It will really give you that uneasy feeling um, that he's definitely trying to evoke. The institution is kind of depicted as being a place of misery. Um, there's not a lot of forward motion in terms of people seeming to get better. A lot of ones, everyone's pretty much just getting worse. There's a whole cast of characters that I won't get into, but they're all quite interesting and charming. But the main person who's kind of keeping everybody down and keeping everything from moving forward is a woman called Nurse Wretched. She's one of the most famous movie villains of all time. I actually think she's a little bit more intense and better in the movie Mm. just because the actress i don't remember her name but whoever portrays her is phenomenal and she has this like cold stare that really just strikes fear into you and she's she's great in the book she seems to kind of relish her power over the men and kind of enjoys tormenting them Mm -hmm. um, in the name of quote-unquote making them better so that's the situation at the beginning of the book the book really kicks off with the arrival of a character named rp mcmurphy he uh, he comes from prison from a work farm Uh, he claims that he's faking a mental illness in order to get out of work he just would he'd rather be in the institution than doing work Mm -hmm. he is this kind of like symbol of freedom and humor and kind of vitality um that the whole ward seems to have you know it seems to have been leashed from them by Nurse Ratched mm-hmm. and and the people in control. He is the most freewheeling, free spirit person ever, and Nurse Ratched is the ultimate symbol of control. And so he basically makes a bet with all the men in uh, that he can speak to in the, in the institution that within a certain amount of time he can get her to basically lose her mind and, mm-hmm. and lose control. There's a lot of themes in it, but most of the book the theme is um, about societal control. The Chief Bromden speaks at length about what he believes in is called the Combine, capitalized C. Um, And the Combine is a gigantic machine that kind of grooms everyone on the entire planet into predestined paths. I just have to quickly interrupt and just say, like, I didn't realize how much your book paralleled my book until you're talking. But, like, keep this in mind when we talk about Brave New World. Wow, as soon as you said that, yeah. Whoa, keep going. Okay. 
So, so <laughs> he believes, uh, Chief Brumden believes deeply in the Combine that people in power, there are massive power structures and they're all working together to force people into a set number of predetermined lives or ways to live. And anyone who lives outside of those ways is kind of smashed into submission. It's evident in R.P. McMurphy, who's kind of a gambler and wild man, but his actions, he's been caught by the Combine and put in this institution. Um, Chief Bromden was part of a tribe living in Oregon, and the white man came in and ended up building a dam on his family's land and kicking them out and kind of tricking them. There's a gay man in the institution who has been basically browbeaten into being in an institution. The huge theme of the book is there are huge unstoppable forces in the world that are dedicated to forcing people into a certain set way of living. The philosophy that Kesey seems to have is that the people who can truly defy the combine are few and far between. There are people who might semi bump up against it here and there, but most people don't have the fight in them to truly defy it. Um, and then people like R.P. McMurphy, they truly do have a screw loose. You know, they might not be completely insane, but they really are willing to do more than anyone else would be willing to do to defy these powerful forces. Mm-hmm. So, so if you identify with that thinking, if you think that there are large groups of people who are forcing other people to live the way they think they should live without any concern for their well-being, uh, then this book will inspire you. And, and it really is an amazing story of this person kind of defying the odds and defying the machine. There are some troubling aspects to the book. It was mm-hmm. written in the 60s, written by a person who was in love with this kind of hyper-masculine idea of identity and way of being. It reminds me a little bit of Steinbeck, where, you know, the author clearly comes from this place of, I know, I know for sure, this mm-hmm. is the way things should be, which is ironic, considering <laughs> he's he's describing the Combine as a really bad thing, and um, but he still seems trapped in that idea of traditional hardcore masculinity is the way to be and the women including nurse ratchet are described in incredibly sexist ways there are some kind of racist things throughout it that being said it is a very funny book Mm -hmm. so there are layers to it where i'm not 100 percent sure how seriously kesey wants to take the sexism that he's presenting to us Mm -hmm. regardless it's there and it's troubling to a modern audience but i will say the writing level is at times superb yeah. uh, just really amazing it's just incredible so it's it's certainly worth a read i remember the characterization just being particularly great yeah the characters that. are very memorable chief bromden especially mm-hmm. rp mcmurphy even nurse ratchet but even like the side like martini like the side characters yeah. like you remember them you yeah, know, yeah. There, there's a lot of delightful characters there and you can and they all have their own arcs and they all have you desperately want them to achieve whatever they're shooting to achieve mm-hmm. so yeah overall uh, i'd say some troubling undertones for an old book but that's nothing new to the two read list <laughs> um and i really enjoyed it so how many stars i give it four out of five stars four out of five cool. yeah. if i had a physical copy i'd keep it on my shelf excellent great but for now you just start in half <laughs> yeah right now i'll tear it in half carry it around <laughs> be very easy so far we've had two fours and a five with our uh books of the new year good start good start good year so far cool andrew do you have any easy keezy facts mm-hmm. easy keezy lemon squeezy it's too easy for Ken Kesey. <laughs> um, <laughs> all right, so I have some facts right here. Yay. Um, Ken Kesey was born on September 17th, 1935 in Colorado. 
His family were dairy farmers and they quickly relocated to Oregon. He was a successful wrestler in both high school and college and he almost made an Olympic team and still has one of the like top 10 best records in like mm. collegiate Oregon. Whoa. Well, I did not know that. He had to quit because of a shoulder injury, but I thought that was pretty wild. Here's what I'll say before I get into more of these facts. His life is wild. It goes in a bunch of different directions and there's a lot of weird facts and a lot of connections with other famous people. So if you're interested in getting a full story, I would seek out a biography or read deeply because I'm only going to do like a high level hit of these. You're just going to do an easy keezy. Exactly. But I'm like almost certainly going to miss things. So I just wanted to add that Uh, while still in school, he eloped with Norma Faye Haxby, his wife. Um, in 1956, they stayed married uh, the rest of Ken Kesey's life. He completed his studies there and pursued a graduate degree. He was selected for a very prestigious writing program and was like sort of the bad boy of the group. For some reason, and I didn't really understand the explanation here, he didn't quite have the credits to be in the like official group, so they shuffled him to Stanford's creative writing program, which still seems really good. But yeah. either way, he was like a hotshot from a young age mm-hmm. as a writer, but was considered a bit of a rebel and a bad boy. Not surprising. He began writing One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest while still studying at Stanford. Um, It was released in like tremendously successful very quickly. Also, while he was at Stanford, he began experimenting with psychedelic drugs, including LSD and mescaline, at first under a government study um, as like a guinea pig um, at a veteran's hospital. Um, He detailed these experiences and then continued to do his own tests personally. Is that what we're calling them now? Tests? (laughs) Well, he referred to them as acid Mm. tests. The electric Kool-Aid acid test. Oh, that comes up very shortly. So yeah, he did a lot of uh, psychedelic drugs and was very much involved in the counterculture movement. The time he spent in that hospital having those tests is uh, sort of what inspired him to write One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest and he got some of inspiration from things he saw there. Then I wrote, then his life got bonkers. Uh, he cultivated a friend group that went by the name The Merry Pranksters, which included members uh, such as Neil Cassidy, The Grateful Dead, who were then considered the Warlocks and were like the house band, <laughs> and Wavy Gravy, <laughs> who was a person, not just an ice cream flavor. Is Wavy Gravy an ice cream flavor? Yeah, it's a Ben and Jerry's flavor, which makes sense. Does it taste like gravy? I don't think it, I don't think it runs anymore. <laughs> yeah, with a name like Wavy Gravy. <laughs> <laughs> um, he was also close with Allen Ginsberg and uh, New Jack Kerouac and other ca- counterculture figures. A cross-country road trip of the Merry Pranksters, which was apparently so that he could get to New York to promote his uh, next novel, Sometimes a Great Notion. Mm. They took on a bus that they named Further, um, and it inspired Tom Wolfe's work, The Electric Kool-Aid Acid Test. Ah. So there you go. Uh, this is a fact that I'm going to put the first sentence or the first uh, qualifier in quotes, and you can decide what you make of it afterwards. Okay. With the permission of his wife, uh, Kesey fathered a child with Carolyn Mountain Girl Adams, a member of the Merry Pranksters. Uh, the baby was named Sunshine Kesey and was raised by Adams and her stepfather, Jerry Garcia. Whoa. Huh. I know. Okay. I mean, it's cool, man. It's the 60s, man. <laughs> in 1965, Kesey was arrested for marijuana possession. Naturally, he decided to fake his own suicide, oh. leaving his car near a cliff and a suicide note. He fled to Mexico and returned eight months later. <laughs> Surprisingly, this... <laughs> that was like not even that long. <laughs> yeah. No. Surprisingly, this didn't work, uh, and he was later jailed for six months. After his release, he calmed down and lived a family-oriented life with his wife and children, seemed to really chill out. He still had contact with a lot of his older people, but he didn't get into nearly as many scrapes after that, or any that I could really find. That's so funny. Eight months. All right. People have forgotten that I existed. I mean, to be fair, it's like... Marijuana possession charge, you think maybe eight months. He forgot that he was a famous writer. (laughs) (laughs) 
he was a longtime teacher at uh, University of Oregon and actually published a work with his students, which I thought was kind of cool. Mm. Like they, uh, a seminar class he was teaching produced a book together. Cool. In 1984, this is bringing it down a little bit, his son Jed died from injuries sustained when the van he was riding in slid off a highway. The van was holding the University of Oregon wrestling team, of which Jed was a member, like his dad was. Oh, man. That really it just sort of destroyed him. Um, and Kesey later donated funds to help the team purchase a proper bus um, because he blamed the state of the van for the accident. That's and awful. like a lack of funding for the accident. Yeah, it's awful. Yeah. He published less and less in later years, focusing on teaching, and also he began having health problems, which reduced his ability to produce as much work. And Ken Kesey died on November 10th, 2001. That was a very comprehensive biography. I don't have any questions. You don't have any questions? No. Nope. Uh, not even why his reaction was to fake suicide and go to Mexico for only eight months? Nah. Nah. I feel like everything is up on up and up. Nothing weird. Yeah, everything seems fine. <laughs> <laughs> I will say it's very interesting. I did not know that uh, sometimes a great notion was published after Wolf Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, right? Is that how it went? Yeah, Wolf Flew Over the Cuckoo's yeah. Nest was his like foray into like the big time, and sometimes a great notion. I believe with his was his follow up. There might have been some small things produced in between, but those were like produced in relative succession. Yeah, so those are the only two of his that I've read, and it's exactly when like a hot new band like releases their first album and they like yeah. had to collaborate with some amazing producer and like people gave them notes and they took them cause they were young and fresh. And then sometimes a great notion is like the sophomore, like we're allowed to do whatever we want. It's like 800 pages. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. It's still good. It's not nearly, nearly as good as one flew over the cuckoo's nest. Oh, good. Well, I'm glad you liked it. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, this week I had a book that I am sure Ken Kesey read. Hmm based on your review, because I have so many things to say that are the same as what you just said. Gotcha. I, um, I read Brave New World by Aldous Huxley. Soma, Soma. Oh, sorry, whoop. <laughs> it, a lot of it is like you're talking about, the combine, like creating people and putting them into different casts. Mm -hmm. But I think you guys will enjoy the description on the back of the book that's supposed to summarize the plot. You look at the back, it says, a fantasy of the future that sheds a blazing critical light on the present, considered to be Aldous Huxley's most enduring masterpiece. That's somebody that didn't read the book, huh? <laughs> and print it. Person had a deadline, and they were like, let's keep it simple. <laughs> I mean, I mean it, we, there's so much we could it, say. It's a vision of the future, <laughs> so done. This edition I got, well, inspired by, again, one of those teaching moments where my students were reading it, and so I wanted to read it too. Mm. Um, but I didn't read it till now, so a little too late. <laughs> Wait, did too you teach this book without reading it? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> what? <laughs> okay. I think I need to clarify this. First of all, it was student teaching. And so it's like, oh, okay. you're not really the teacher. You're like the helper. So this was a British literature class. So they had one group that was about a boy. And they had one group that was Curious Incident of the Dog in the Nighttime. And they had one group that was 1984. And one group wow, that was very different. Brave New World. I mean, there were a lot to read, so yeah, I had to yeah. read them all. Fair, fair. I did catch one kid because you're supposed to put, like, part of it was, like, come up with discussion questions. And this girl, who was very sweet, just copied the discussion questions out of the back of the book. And I was like, no, no, Did no. you say it was a blazing vision of the future? <laughs> okay, so this is what this book is actually about. Uh, there's a quote on page seven, which describes the principle of mass production at last applied to biology. So that's basically the idea, where in the future, we use mass production, think like assembly line, like Ford Model T cars, and apply that to making humans. And they are in different castes, like the alphas, the betas, and you are determined from birth which one you're going to be, and you can't do anything differently, and the alphas will rule, and the omegas will, like, 
clean up the trash. It's a lot like the Combine. Hmm. hmm. Starts off with a sort of prolonged tour of the factory. So you're just sort oh, of... I remember that. Yeah. You're just getting a sense of the environment and this world and how everything works through a very expositional, like, and now we're taking the tour. You know what? It's the same as 1984. Because in the 84, remember, he's like, I stood in my apartment and I looked over at the Ministry of Truth. Yeah. The Ministry of Truth did this. Does like, this. Yeah, yeah, very similar. I don't know that they perfected, you know, exposition in sci-fi novels yet. Anyway. It hadn't so- been invented yet. <laughs> <laughs> so from there, you start to follow some of the characters. You follow this guy, Bernard, who is an alpha, but like he's small. And so the girls aren't sure about him. Like, although he's an alpha, it's like, I don't know if I want to like be with him because like how great could he be? But. He's very smart. He starts to question the world and he's dating. Well, he, the thing is, there's no real dating. It's a world where because reproduction is created in factories, sex and pleasure is a completely separate thing Mm -hmm. um, and it can't be tied to reproduction. So it's kind of the opposite of you only have sex to have a baby. It's like you have sex all the time from when you're a little kid. And if you don't, then you're a weirdo. And Bernard is like, I don't know if I want to have sex with everybody. I just, I like this one girl. And everyone's like, stop being a weirdo. Mm -hmm. Um, So it follows him and the girl. They're starting a relationship and they go on this trip to this quaint Native American quote, savage settlement in New Mexico. And they see people that are outside of their world and they're just horrified because they are allowed to age naturally and they like have monogamous relationships and they are mothers and fathers, which to them is horrifying. And then one of the characters that they meet there, John, quote, the savage, comes back to their world. And he is kind of like the McMurphy character that comes in and disrupts everything. So basically from this description, you can see that most of it is setting and world building and sort of like a what if sense. And I think that's all really great. Um, There's some stuff that's very interesting, like the characters, whenever they feel like something's wrong, they are told to take this drug called Soma um, and people are just drowning their sorrows in that. And Mm that feels like very however people like self-medicate today that's what it felt like and you know today we do have artificial insemination this was written in 1932 and Mm -hmm. it was before all these things existed they also talked about going to the quote feelies which are (laughs) movies that like they're kind of like virtual reality Mm -hmm. and you can like feel everything that's happening so all that stuff was great but for me it was really lacking character and plot Mm -hmm. because it would kind of pick up these characters like Bernard is kind of the guy in the beginning and then you lose him to John and then Bernard becomes kind of this like jerk guy and then it becomes kind of a philosophy book and I I just wanted it to have more character and emotion or like to to follow one person's arc versus popping in and out so I mean I guess it's really hard not to compare it to 1984 as people do and so I just found 1984 to be a better version of a similar ideas Mm -hmm. although i did see a quote that said something like you know orwell was afraid of like what would happen if we were ruled by pain and huxley is afraid of what would happen if we were ruled by pleasure Mm. like if you only had good things like how that could completely numb your brain yeah yeah another quote was like um orwell worried you know what would happen if people burned books and huxley would worry what would happen if nobody wanted a book 
Yeah. So there's also some strange structural things that felt a little bit cutesy to me, like they would switch perspectives like every paragraph and that would be kind of hard to um, conceptualize. But all this to say that I'm giving it three stars, Ooh. which the, Ooh. I can see. Okay. Just brings our average down to four total for the year. That's okay. We're I still know, good. Oh, I know. Okay. I know. I'm sorry. I, I just <laughs> I just see the good and the bad. I yeah. don't really get people that give it five stars and are like, this is amazing because yeah. it's one of those things that like the ideas are really interesting. But today, because a lot of them have come true they seem like yeah. less interesting i don't know if that's um jaded but no, that's totally fair yeah it's absolutely fair. i i read this such a long time ago but i my overwhelming impression is the same as where it's like wow amazing gem of an idea here yeah a bunch of stuff you don't care about or thread plot lines that fall apart or stuff like that yeah i wouldn't say you're gonna love it and it like you're talking about in cuckoo's nest I mean, it was written in 1932, but the depiction of women, the treatment of women is really unfortunate. Like, yeah. you know, these people are ruled by, like, their pleasure and their sexuality. And this one guy gets so angry with this woman because basically they're attracted to each other and he blames her and, like, yeah. attacks her. And it's like, whew, guys, yeah. you know. Yeah, it's hard to read at points. Yeah. H- have you read this one, Andrew? I have not, no. A lot of people read it in school, like yeah. I said, and yep. I, I don't, it's kind of, I don't know. It's a little bit mature for school. Maybe yeah, college. I don't know. Yeah. I, don't know I, if I actually remember it was an option in like a reading circle-like thing, and I just didn't pick it. Yeah. I mean, I will say, you know, it was only like 250 pages. Oh, okay. I didn't, I found it pretty easy to get through. Other people have complained that it's boring and they have a hard time, but after the Count of Monte Cristo, I felt like a breeze. <laughs> <laughs> you're bulletproof. Yeah. I finished it like three days ago. I feel like I've been on a vacation. <laughs> Very nice. So yeah, so um, Brave New World, Aldous Huxley, three stars. Keep it on your shelf? Yeah, I'm going to keep it because... It's cool when people walk in your house and you have it? Yes, and maybe, you know, our future kids will need to read it for school. (laughs) That's Uh, true. Bailey, they won't be reading books in the future. Didn't you read the book? No. Uh, Andrew, do you have any facts on Aldous Huxley? Oh, I do indeed. Normal, normal man, Aldous Huxley. He's not that weird. I don't know. Here we go. Aldous Huxley was born on July 26, 1894 mm. in Godalming, Surrey in England. He was raised in a prominent family, uh, like a very prominent family, and attended Eton before studying English at Oxford. As a boy, his nickname was Augie. Aw, that's cool. What do you think, what do you think Augie was short for? Is it Ogle, like to ogle somebody. He was a peeping tom. Yeah. No. Well, no. no. He loved frogs. August. And they just dropped the f. Augie. No. <laughs> no. Ogre. Oh. <laughs> I could. I didn't find a lot of information for why he was initially called ogre. There's more letters in Augie than there is ogre. It doesn't save time. <laughs> <laughs> well, no. It was spelled O G I E, and it just switches the I to an R to an I. Oh. Well, I mean, people people look different when they grow up, but I'd say he looks quite dapper in this picture of him. Yeah, he, he does have back. some big old glasses. He's got some swag. I don't know what it was based on, but he was called Augie by his family when he was young. His first job after uh, university was teaching French back at Eton, uh, where one of his students was Eric Blair. Everyone remember who Eric Blair is? No. Oh, uh, George Orwell. Yes. George Orwell. Oh, I was there three seconds too late. <laughs> <laughs> So Aldous Huxley taught George Orwell French in high school. (laughs) I love that. He's like, oh, you got an idea for a book? Just you wait. I'm going to do it better. (laughs) 
Uh, he also got a job working at a chemical plant, which apparently provided some of the inspiration for Brave New World because he saw this automation and uh, assembly line stuff yeah. firsthand. Mm-hmm. Assembly line stuff, yes. Mass production. Yeah, stuff, right? <laughs> Throughout this time, he was writing uh, consistently and he gained a reputation for his writing and uh, as a social satirist. Um, after also working as a farm laborer and meeting and marrying his wife, uh, Belgian refugee Maria Nice, he accepted a job working for the Athenium, uh, which was a based literary magazine. He was like very prolific at this time. This is like late 20s, early 30s. He became very interested in pacifism and the ideas of being a pacifist and pacifism sort of permeate his work going forward. And he also became very interested in the dehumanizing aspects of scientific progress, culminating in his novel Brave New World. Makes sense. Which was initially quite successful um, and sort of upped him into a a new level of success. Mm. Huxley later moved with his family to Los Angeles in 1937. I live in Los Angeles. Yes, you do. All three of you do, in fact. (laughs) Where he spent almost all of the rest of his life, though he did live in Taos, New Mexico, with writing down the bones lady. For real? His name I forget. (laughs) No, he just lived in Taos, New Mexico. No, of course I'm not with her. Uh, so he spent yeah, almost all the rest of his time working in Los Angeles. He continued publishing work. He earned a lot of money as a screenwriter, and apparently he used a lot of that funds to transport uh, Jewish left-wing slash artist refugees from Nazi Germany to America during the Second World War. Oh, that's great. He became a practitioner of Vendata Hinduism. He continued practicing throughout the rest of his life and also experimented with psychedelic drugs, much like Ken Kesey. His first experience on mescaline inspired his work, The Doors of Perception. And yeah, so we have a weird parallel here yeah. between our two authors today this is very uh, weird i've read the doors of perception it's i enjoyed it more than brave new world it's shorter i mean the only description of brave new world is that it's aldous huxley's best work so i don't know if i can agree with that (laughs) um and in case anyone doesn't know this absurdly common fun fact the doors of perception is where the doors the band took their name from oh i didn't know that's huxley's book yeah Ah. huxley died on november 22nd 1963 does anyone remember what that date is? No, I think, wait, that um, Kennedy, Kennedy was shot? From an article in New York Magazine by Christopher Bonanos. Whoa. The championship trophy for badly timed death goes to a pair of British writers. Aldous Huxley, the author of Brave New World, died the same day as C.S. Lewis, who wrote the Chronicles of Narnia series. Uh-huh. Unfortunately for both of their legacies, that day, November 26, 1963, was the day John F. Kennedy's motorcade passed the Texas School Book Depository. That's hmm. crazy. That They say it happens in threes. Not usually three on the same day. Yeah. That is bananas. Within a few hours. Wow. This quote goes on to say, Huxley at least made it interesting. At his request, his wife shot him up with LSD a couple of hours before the end, and he tripped his way out of this world. What a way to go. Well, great facts, Andrew. Good job. Good facts, Andrew. Thank you, guys. All right. Well, I'm excited for the game today because Andrew says that it's a very different game and Dylan gets to play too. Wait, what? (laughs) I hope Dylan loses. I make a lot of games for this podcast. Um, a lot of times it's a guessing if something is something else. And I just wanted to switch it up and do something a little different where the onus wasn't on me to look things up. And the onus was on you to be creative. So the name of this game is Ice Cream Huxley. Okay. You may remember that in Ken Kesey's Facts, I mentioned that one of his crew was Wavy Gravy, which is also a Ben & Jerry's ice cream flavor. Tenuous connection. Here we go. What I'm going to do is give you a... Aldous Huxley book title, novel title specifically, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and you are each going to give me a pun title that is an ice cream flavor and what is that flavor is made of. Excellent. I will award one point to the winner 
I have four titles in front of me, so that way it is impossible for you to tie. Dylan gets to play two because I think he likes puns more than all of you combined. I do like puns. All right, is, are the rules clear? I'm going to give you a title. You come up with an ice cream flavor name and what is in it. One, not even most creative. One I enjoy the most wins. Dylan looks like he has too much on the line. <laughs> he's he's already he's like I spent my whole <laughs> life preparing for this, and now I'm too nervous. <laughs> To give you a little advantage, the first one, I'm going to use one that's maybe been percolating in the back of your head this whole time. Brave New World. I would call it Brave Two Swirl, uh, and it would be a bubblegum ribbon flavor. Okay. Brave Two Swirl. Nice. Okay. Nice, nice, nice. Uh, mine is Eat Some of This. <laughs> Eat Some of This. And it is like a, nice. a lovely French vanilla with like little bits of caramel in it. It's just like very like relaxing and chill. Eat some of this. Okay. No, I got the pun. You don't have to Eat keep repeating it slowly. Soma, like the <laughs> like the medication they all take. No, no, I got it. I got it. Mine's just the feelies. <laughs> and that's a pun, that's a pun on feelies from the book. <laughs> um, and it's just 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 one big marshmallow. <laughs> just a cold marshmallow. <laughs> just a real frozen marshmallow that you have to scoop out of yep. the thing. <laughs> So who wins? All right, Dylan is getting the point Aww. here because he most truly followed the naming conventions of Ben and Jerry's where it's truly just a dad pun. Yeah, that's okay. true. Eat but some of this. For creativity of flavor, Bailey yes. wins. And Aww. for tastiness of the ice cream, Toby wins. But the point goes to Dylan. Aww. Okay. You did a good job integrating the book into the into the title. Yeah, Thank you. But I wanted, I wanted dad puns. All right, number two, Ape and Essence. Well, Grape and Essence. Wait, what? Ape as in a... Ape as in, like, a gorilla. Okay. So Dylan uh, Dylan has book? said grape and essence. So what is that, Dylan? Ooh. It's grape and herbal essence shampoo. Yeah. together. <laughs> okay. Please, somebody else, come up with one. <laughs> Let me tell you, as the scorer here, there's an opening. <laughs> this is hard. Chunk- chunky monkey. <laughs> 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 it, it's, like, it's like there's banana in it. All right, so the actual <laughs> Ben and Jerry's flavor, Chunky Monkey. Toby, do you have one? Uh, yes. Ape and S mints. And it's <laughs> banana ice cream. <laughs> what? Banana? It's banana ice cream oh with like <laughs> peppermints that are shaped like S's. <laughs> that, that works. Ape and S mints. Uh, yeah. Okay. Okay. I'm gonna right. I'm gonna win the this flavor is, this one is this tough. time. These are all such <laughs> options. What do you mean? Mine smells great. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> I'm gonna give the point to Toby here. Yeah. Because it tr- more truly represents the spirit of the game in my head. <laughs> Dylan was just yelling the first word that came to his head. Sounds like great. And Bailey used a real flavor because of the <laughs> chunky monkey connection. So Toby is the easy winner here Yay. for ape and s mints. <laughs> Number three, The Devil's Luden. Luden, spelled L-O-U-D-U-N. What, is that a word? Is that a place? Do you think I did more research okay. than just finding the title? What do you want, a summary? This is this is The Devil's Udon, and it's one of those <laughs> weird ice creams that's like a savory flavor. Yeah. So it's like Udon-flavored ice cream, but it's like surprisingly spicy, that's, that's so it's good. The Devil's yeah. Udon. I would try that. Mine is The Devil's Foodin'. And it's like a, like a hickory barbecue, Ew. <laughs> like a hickory barbecue, like maple. And on the, you know, they have those like illustrations sometimes. Mm-hmm. So on the pint is like a picture of like a, a devil, like at the grill. And he's like looking over his shoulder at you with his big grin on his face. And it says, the devil's foodin'. 
This is making me want ice cream, which is yeah. weird because that sounds disgusting. <laughs> that sounds hickory, awful. hickory barbecue flavor. Um, mine would be called a devil's crouton, and that would be basically just putting uh, dips on a Caesar salad. <laughs> devil's crouton. Okay, I have to win that one. <laughs> so. Honestly, Dylan, you had me in on the pun, but then you ruined it with your description. <laughs> <laughs> had you just made anything up, I might have gone for it. You never tried the devil's crouton? <laughs> to be fair, are, isn't that what you called dibs? Uh, the devil's crouton? Yeah, I was going to say. <laughs> I liked Toby's in theory, but he didn't really describe the flavor enough for me, except for saying it was either hickory barbecue or maple. Didn't say if it was sweet or savory. Oh. So it could either be a meat-flavored ice cream or, like, a much more pleasant maple-less ice cream. <laughs> Bailey gets the win there, yes. even though I would never eat that in my life. <laughs> no, but somebody would. Oh, someone certainly would. I don't know if I'm judging it based on what somebody would do. Yeah. <laughs> but still, Bailey gets the point. Well, that means we're all tied up, so this is winner-take-all. Which brings us down to this, man. <laughs> it's okay. tough. The last title is After Many a Summer. After Many a Summer. Think carefully. Don't just yell grape and essence and then have to back justify it. Um, okay, mine's called After Molten Ice Crummer. After Molten Ice Crummer? Yep. Repeating that for anyone who is yep. astounded that molten ice came up. So so it's it's like a sorbet because it's like ice that's a little bit melted, but there's chocolate in it, which is the molted part, and then the crummer, there's like some... You know, ginger cookies. Crummer. <laughs> Yum. Okay, that sounds like a reasonable flavor. I don't, I think you would need to explain the title to whoever was buying it, but okay. Not all Dis Huxley fans. So, uh, <laughs> mine is crafter, comma, many a plumber. What? Okay. <laughs> crafter, many a plumber. <laughs> what on earth is the flavor? <laughs> the sensation of eating uh, a slice of plum pudding with a pint of beer what? <laughs> craft what? beer and it's like uh and it has another one of these illustrations where someone's looking over their shoulder at you oh my god <laughs> it's a, is it the devil it's, it's, <laughs> uh, okay yeah it's the devil but he's disguised as a plumber this time <laughs> and he's drinking a he, he's drinking a beer like really craftily and he has a slice of plum, plum pudding in the corner crafter comma many a plumber okay toby <laughs> you just said craft beer a, a plumber craft beer plumber no that doesn't sound nearly as good um that's why you're not gonna win dylan do you have one i would do are you gonna do what you just described to toby <laughs> <laughs> mine's crafter a plumber well the thing is i was going to use crumbler too because that is the thing yeah right oh, too bad well, i was gonna say after denny's a crumbler to be fair no one has said crumbler oh well then that case i'll take it i'll say <laughs> after denny's a crumbler okay what's that and it's uh it's an ice cream that's exclusively sold with the aldous huxley denny's tie-in this is it's good. like, it's like this pancakes. Is, this is good. Yeah, mes mescaline pancakes. <laughs> it's basically like a stack of pancakes. No, it's just a, it's just a, yeah, it's just a, cla a glass of clear water with mescaline in it, and that's the that's the Huxley special. It's the last thing you see. Yeah. Uh, it's a crumbler made out of pancakes. On what's a crumbler? It's a uh, like peach crumbler, like the uh, crumble. crumble. Yeah. Okay. Oh, okay. It's a peach crumble made out of pancakes. <laughs> yep, basically. And that's the flavor of your ice cream. Yep. <laughs> okay. How will you decide? No, there's a there's a clear winner here. I really thought Dylan was about to win, but then the ice cream description completely came out. <laughs> it completely fell apart. <laughs> it completely crumbled. <laughs> oh, no. The winner here is going to be Bailey. Yes! Oh, no. What? Because 
it is an ice cream I can possibly comprehend, unlike drinking a beer with a plum pudding <laughs> and making that an ice cream flavor. Nice. So, Bailey, you are the winner Yay! of the most bizarre ice cream game in the world. Ice Cream Huxley. That was a great game, Andrew. Yeah. Good job. Thank you. I thought it would be fun to like do something completely different. Yeah, yeah. switch it up. All right, now's the time on the podcast where we get books chosen at random from our shelves. I'm very excited, but also nervous. Dylan, it is The, the Choosening. The Choosening. The Choosening. The Choosening. Toby. Yes, that's me. I was going to have a huge buildup for this, but this I is live in LA. Very hard because I don't think this book is about this, so I'm not 100% sure what this book's about. Yep, set yourself up to fail, Dylan. <laughs> Number 49, Pachinko by Min Jin Lee. Ah, I'm excited about this book. It was a hot book like a couple of years ago, right? This is like a book club favorite. Yeah. Have you read it? Nope. Andrew? I have not read it. I think it's like one of those family stories. I think it's like, like a multi-generational. Korean family. Yeah. yeah. I'm excited. I know almost nothing about this book. It's one of those ones where it was just hugely popular, had good writings, and I liked the look of it, so I put it on the list. Nice. So, yeah. That's cool. It's sometimes fun to go in like not knowing anything. Yeah. yeah. It's, well, it's like when you know, like you see, you hear about a movie and you're like, cool, I already want to see it. I'm not going to watch any previews. Yeah, and yeah. You kind of enjoy it more. Nice. Yeah. Nice. All right. What about me? Yours is a lot easier to do a tie-in segue because if you want to do uh, one person versus a whole system. What? <laughs> number 107, Simon versus the Homo Sapiens Agenda by Becky Albertalli. Yeah. Number 107. This is the book that inspired the movie Love, Simon. Oh, I'm excited because I got this. This was one of those ones I got out of shame when I went to the ripped bodice and I <laughs> was there and I felt like I had to get something. Mm-hmm. So I got it a few, like a year or so ago. And it's been so long since I've seen Love, Simon that maybe the story will be a little more fresh. Yeah. Nice. nice. One. Excellent. Excellent. So that means next week on the podcast, we have a mini sode. We're talking about our favorite animals and literature. And then in two weeks. Me? Yeah. <laughs> And then in two weeks, I'll have Simon versus the Homo Sapien Agenda, and Andrew has Robinson Crusoe and the Plague Year. Robinson Crusoe, and potentially also Journal of the Plague Year by Daniel Defoe. TBD. We'll see how many books he can get through. Mm. And just to remind everybody, we have that deal that if he if he reads the supplemental book, then he gets to pick his next book, right? Yes, that's okay. right. Yes, yes, yes. All right. Well, thanks for listening to the To Read List. If you'd like to get in contact with us, you can email the To Read List podcast at gmail.com. Follow us on Goodreads at goodreads.com slash the To Read List podcast. We're on Facebook and Instagram at the To Read List podcast and on Twitter at To Read List pod. Everybody, I just want you to know that Wavy Gravy, it was a combination of caramel and cashew Brazil nut ice cream with a hazelnut fudge swirl and roasted almonds. We're doing the credits right now, Toby. Also, if you enjoy the podcast, <laughs> uh, please go on to your podcast reader of choice uh, and rate us five stars. It really helps us be more visible and it helps us spread uh, the show around. And if you do enjoy the podcast, please tell a friend that might also be interested in it. Word of mouth is our best way of finding new people. So tell your mother, tell your brother, tell Wavy Gravy, <laughs> who was also a countercultural figure who frequented Grateful Dead shows and actually still probably does as he is still alive. Mm. He's also topped with toasted almonds. Thanks to Toby and Andrew for co-hosting the podcast with me, to Dylan for sound recording, and to Miss Jillian Beth Durkee for composing our intro song. See you next week. Happy reading. Books, 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 books. books. books.